seat. Welcome to Village Church. If this is your first time here, my name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here at Village Church. And as always, I am thankful and grateful to see each and every one of you. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Psalm 100. That's where we will be uh, this morning, as well as other texts. But before we get into that, I do want to talk just for a moment about the Lottie Moon Christmas market that is coming this Friday night. And so, of course, during the Christmas season every year, if you're a part of Village Church, uh, you know that uh, we take part in what's called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. This is an offering that we've taken for years and years now, and 100% of it goes uh, to the cause of international missions through a partnership with the International Mission Board. We cooperate with many churches throughout the nation to, to support international missions. Now, the key is, is that we uh, finance and we, in part, give to the International Mission Board so that missionaries uh, can spend their time overseas uh, reaching people that haven't been reached with the gospel. Uh, and so they don't have to worry about the financial element of that. And it's a fantastic program. And every year our kids try to find a way in which they can be a part of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering so that they can have a tangible way to say that they are supporting missions all over the world. I don't know if you know this or not, but our government will not allow them to have jobs. Um, it's, it's frowned upon. Uh, they won't let 10-year-olds go to good factory union jobs like they used to. Uh, but uh, So the kids have to get creative every year. And uh, so this year, uh, they've decided to have the Lottie Moon Christmas Market. That's this Friday night, November 17th, starting at 6.30. You can drop by anywhere between 6.30 and 8. And I hope you do. My kids are taking part in it. And so if you don't come, it's going to hurt their feelings. And if you hurt their feelings, well, guess what? You hurt my wife's feelings. Uh, and if you hurt my wife's feelings, well, that makes my life complicated. And so I'm, I'm just going to get mad at you. So you need to be here. You need to bring some money. You need to buy. They're going to have a Christmas ornaments, Christmas decorations. They're going to have many crafts. They're going to have desserts that they're going to sell you. Uh, there, there's, there's really no limit to the things that they're going to be selling. I don't even know what all of them are. But uh, please uh, just mark out some time this coming Friday night, maybe right before dinner, right after dinner. You can come stop by, buy some of their things. And here's the big key. A hundred percent of this is going to go to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that we will take uh, up later in December. And so I want you to support our children because as W.A. Criswell used to tell his church, it's through things like the cooperative program of the SBC. It's through things like the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that you can very much understand that we as a church are represented all over the world through missions efforts that are reaching people who have never been reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I believe in the International Mission Board. I love that we as a church have partnered with them for almost 15 years now, the entire life of our church. And this is just a small way that you can take part in what God is doing all over the world. Sometimes they're in countries that we can't even talk about uh, reaching unreached people groups with the gospel. And so I hope that I've sufficiently guilted you into being here this Friday night, somewhere between 630 and eight and buy some of the goodies, especially if you see a gentry kid attached to it. <laughs> Because if you don't buy it, I'm going to have to buy all of them. And I'm running out of money. All right. So, so please help us with that this Friday night. Well, we are uh, a week and a half from Thanksgiving. That's hard to believe. 2023 has flown by. I barely knew it. Uh, but he, when we get into the Thanksgiving season, it kind of uh, makes me reflect on our culture. 
at large. And I, I believe that we have a pandemic of ingratitude in our culture. I think that as a culture, we define our lives by what we lack before we give gratitude and thankfulness to the God that has given us all that we have. Uh, we're more anxious in our culture about what we can't do than we are thankful for what we can do. We're more focused on the bad things that might happen to us than we are glad about the things that have already happened that are good for us. And I think that we do this to the detriment of our very souls. I believe Thanksgiving is a vital holiday, especially for Christians, and it gives us an opportunity to showcase our thankfulness to God for all that He has given us and all that we have been given by Him. Of course, the non-tangible things, the immaterial things, like redemption, like the gospel of Jesus Christ, like the life that we have where Ephesians puts it, that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You cannot exaggerate the level of blessedness that that is, but also the material things around us. There's not anything material in your life that has not been brought to you by God. From the clothes on your back to the food that you will eat after uh, this service that I'm not going to get until after the next service. You should be thankful you get to eat before I do on Sundays. But we also need to be thankful for the fact, I mean, this morning I drove a truck that had heat in it. I remember I one summer spent time driving a truck that did not have air conditioning in it, and I was not thankful for that. We should be thankful for every single thing in our lives, but we must also go beyond those things to realize that every single one of them has come from the hand of their creator, God. A fascinating thing has happened in my lifetime, and that's how Halloween has really overtaken Thanksgiving, and in some ways it even competes with Christmas on the emphasis that people put into it, on the, the amount of attention that people give towards it. And we have to ask ourselves, why is that? And I'm not here to give you any type of legalistic mandate, but rather a question of why society celebrates the macabre more than we celebrate things like love, joy, peace, hope. But we have to ask ourselves, because my assumption and my thought on that is because we as a society have grown more comfortable with focusing on unhappy elements than we are focusing on joyful elements. I mean, let's be honest. Halloween emphasizes fear, misery, death, the macabre, while Thanksgiving and Christmas, as I said, focus on joy, peace, love, and hope. I think part of it is because we celebrate what we are familiar with. And I think as a society, we've grown more familiar with misery than we have with happiness. We've grown more familiar with anxiety than we have hope for tomorrow. I think in many ways we've become more comfortable even with the macabre than we are for the joyful because for many of us celebrating joyful things represents something that we believe we lack. Something that we believe God maybe even is holding out on us. We'd rather be fearful than we would be faith-filled. And that is why really for the next six weeks, I want to delve into Thanksgiving and Christmas as really one combined celebration of worship to God for all that he has given or all that he has done for us. These are feasting seasons of which should be celebrated loud and proud for all that God has done, not because of anything that we have done. Now, we're not celebrating loudly how great we are. We're not proud of all that we contribute into the gospel. Rather, we are so thankful for what God has done that we are unapologetic for the lives of gratitude that we live in a culture that desperately needs to see that type of gratitude. Maybe you feel 
ill-equipped to defend the faith in intellectual or even academic ways, and you've reduced your ability to defend the faith to those things. They get questions about how to defend the faith all of the time. But the fact is, one of the key apologetics of the faith in Jesus Christ is your own gratitude for what God has done. A watching world does not look at your misery and say, hmm, I want some of that. A watching world does not look at your anxiety, look at your unhappiness and say, man, that's something I would like to take part of. But a watching world does look at an overwhelming sense of gratitude, even in the face of despair and in the face of pain and say, how are you walking every day with faith in light of all that is going on in the world? That is what an unbelieving world wants to have. I believe Christians should live daily with joy, daily with things like laughter, because we know and focus on what God has given in abundance to the glory of His name. Amen. That's what we see in Psalm 100. The psalmist writes, starting in verse 1, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God it is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. Number one this morning, I want you to understand that thanksgiving is an issue of worship. Thanksgiving is an issue of worship because praise and thanksgiving really work together. It is impossible to worship if you are unthankful. It doesn't even make sense. Yet I, so many times I see people complain and they're like, oh, I just don't feel worship. Well, have you considered the ingratitude that you live with every day? If you aren't grateful for all that God has done, then you can't look at him and ascribe worth and glory to his name. Ian e. Bounds, the great writer on prayer, wrote this. He said, praise and thanksgiving are so near alike that it is not easy to distinguish them or def to define them separately. That's why Psalm 100 is not solely just a psalm of worship. It is firstly a psalm of thanksgiving. Note that it is dependent on a posture of worship, though, because it is honest about what thanksgiving cultivates. Thanksgiving wells up from a heart of praise, reflecting on what God has done and responding in kind. It's cultivated in the believer's life because we know what we deserve, yet we are also thankful and grateful for what God has gifted us with. This thanksgiving is interchangeable with the atmosphere of praise because it looks to God and thanks Him for His work as you have the privilege of entering into His presence. And you cannot be thankful to God without praising His name. That's why he notes that he comes into the presence of God in verse 1 with a joy because that joy is rooted on the privilege of entering into the presence of a holy God that you do not deserve to enter into, but rather should be condemned by because you are so unholy. Note that this joy-filled heart wants to speak of the knowledge that God has revealed through His activity. Worship, as I said, is ultimately a statement of what you think someone or something is worth. That's why we so often give it into things that are material rather than God, because the material is what's right in front of our face. Psalm 100, though, speaks of the worth that God has in the life of this psalmist. There's no way to read it without seeing how valuable he thinks the presence of God in his life is. 
What I hope jumps off of the page to you is the emotion with which he praises the name of God. The author isn't just stating facts about God. He is talking about the effects that those facts have had in a very real life in his response to them. The grace that God has given to him is the way that he knows God, but also understands that he is known by God. This is the proper reaction that comes through a life of faith. Because thanksgiving points us to a God who provides. And it's the necessary reaction. But a good question is, what do you do if you don't feel that type of emotion? What do you do if you read this passage, you feel nothing about it really? doesn't well up anything within your soul. You just kind of go through the motions, read the scripture, walk away, say, well, that's great. I can tell you I am naturally not a very emotional person. So I get this question and this concern from other people like me a lot. You focus on two things. The first thing that you focus on in the text is not a feeling. See, the problem is, is that some of you base your life too much on feeling, and that's been the story of disaster, hasn't it? You do whatever you feel like. Well, what if you feel like an idiot? Well, then bad things will ensue. See, if you just go through life living one feeling to the other, honestly understand, sometimes you will make foolish decisions, if not more times than not. What the psalmist is doing, though, isn't that he's basing his relationship and his, his understanding of God on an emotional feeling. No, he's basing his feeling on facts. Your feelings must necessarily be anchored to objective reality for them to have any credence in your life. And that's what the psalmist does. Look in verse 3. He says, know that the Lord, He is God. That is a fact that he is digging his life into and he is rooting his faith in. Facts are what you base your faith on. Faith doesn't necessitate you feeling anything. Faith is a cognitive choice that you make with your life on the facts of who God is and the facts of what God has done. Faith really is leaning your life onto the facts of who God is, the fact of what God has done, and the fact of what He promises to do through you, for you, and in you. And so you lean your life, you give all of your trust into those facts, and you begin to live a life of faith. But when you live a life of faith, you cannot help but realize all that God has done. When you begin to note through all of the goodness that God has given into your life, even if we just begin with the gospel that redeems you, the gospel that you've placed your faith in, God loves you to the extent that He sent His Son to die on the cross for your sin. When you lean your life into that, there's no way for you to be in that type of faith for an extended period of time to not look at it and be filled with gladness because I am so thankful for what God has done for me. When I was a young man, my church would sing a song thanking the Lord for all of the good things that he's brought into my life, for the roof that is over my head, for the shoes that are on my feet. Because we must understand that as Gnostic as we pretend that our spiritual lives are, the material is also provided by God. Are you thankful for that? All of you are clothed by God's grace. <laughs> Have you thanked God for that today? Have you thanked God for the reality that you most likely will have at least one meal today. I have lived a life where I am often overwhelmed with the privilege of what God has done for me. 
I've lived a great life. There is not a moment of my life that I can remember that I did not know the name of Jesus Christ, that I did not know that the name of God is Jesus Christ. I've lived with that reality. I've often told you I've been in the church of Jesus Christ physically my entire life. I came to faith in Christ at a very young age. My parents ensured that I was raised in a Christian home, and that is to the glory of God. And I am so thankful for that, that I seek to provide that same atmosphere for fear for my children. And I seek to cultivate environments for you to build your life for your children around the exact same things because it is good and it has been provided by God. And I am overwhelmingly thankful I, if you spend any amount of time with me, I love to tell stories. My parents have told me I have an uncommon memory of things that happened to me when I was five, six, and seven. I just remember detail after detail of my entire life. And I love sharing stories. I love sharing embarrassing stories. I love sharing all stories. I have had a great time in my life. Other people will talk about their middle school and high school experience. But, you know, it was so awful. I had a great time. I loved middle school. I loved high school. I loved college. I loved seminary. I've loved being a pastor. I've loved planning a church. I've loved leading you for the past 15 years. I've loved every part of my life, and I know that that is uncommon, and I am thankful. By God's grace, I got up this morning to a wonderful wife who didn't get up as early as I did, but I was thankful for her. She puts up with me. She loves me. I got three kids God has graced me with, and I am thankful for all three of them. I got a roof over my head. I didn't have to sleep out in the cold last night. I am thankful to God that he's provided that for me. After church, one of my favorite parts of the day, food. It's coming. I'm thankful. I've got the money to get it. I'm thankful. My wife so good to me. She'll bring it to me. I'm thankful. I've got dogs. Love them. Thankful. Friends, so often the feelings of your life are rooted in what you think you lack. But most of it is because you haven't been paying attention to everything that you have. Everything that you've been given. If you will, every morning when you wake up, this is an exercise that I try to do every single day. I try before I begin my day because I might be unemotional, but that's only because my emotion is usually grumpy. All right. That's the one emotion I'm very capable of. And I'm an expert at it, buddy. But I try to remind myself, I try to set a standard for my life every single morning where I spend time saying I'm thankful I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. Do you do things like that? What you don't understand is that is worship. That is worship. Psalm 126 puts it this way. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nation, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Do you see it begins with a fact of what God has done. Then they have faith that God not only did it, but God will continue to do it. And then they felt glad, but no that other nations were noticing their gladness. 
See, that is a contagious type of faith. There is fact, then there is faith, then there is the response in the activity of gladness in the life of the believer. Friends, there is a difference between stating the facts of God's attributes in a format of praise and feeling gratitude for them deep in your inner being. These are not dry facts. The Christian life is not an academic exercise. If the truth of God never brings affectionate thanksgiving for God, then friend, the problem is you probably don't have faith. It may take time to build, but thanksgiving is not an option. It is the justifiable outcome of a life lived through faith in what God has done and is doing John Piper once wrote, minimizing the importance of transformed feelings makes Christian conversion less supernatural and less radical. We have to be honest that if you have a thanksgiving problem, yes, you have a worship problem, which could reveal a real faith problem. Because understand, thanksgiving, number two this morning, is the pathway of obedience. It is the pathway of obedience. If you are unthankful for any period of time, I need you to understand that disobedience is close at hand. Sin is close at hand in your life because living thankful builds trust in God, which cultivates obedience. Thanksgiving has to be awkward for atheists because it doesn't make a lot of sense. It terminates on itself because it can never transcend the material world. Thanksgiving assumes a God to whom we are thankful. It must. I would hate to spend my Thanksgiving and Christmas with men like Neil deGrasse Tyson, the astrophysicist, who's so quick to tell you that you are a fool for trying to thank some transcendent being out there that made everything that is, and he's going to try to give you 17 mathematical equations why the existence of God, it can't be real, and you are a fool. What a bummer. <laughs> if he was related to me, he wouldn't be eating turkey at my table. <laughs> be like, bro, I'm going to live thankful. Get your math out of here, all right? But what he's doing through it is not giving you a justifiable or what philosopher Alvin Plantinga calls you a warranted disbelief in God. Rather, what he is doing is giving you a show to anoint himself as deity. But if I am the autonomous materialistic deity in my own life, what a pathetic existence that my thankfulness and my gratitude can never transcend my own hands. Imagine. How miserable it must be to not be thankful. Friends, there is a part of the image of God that was given to us in the very soul of who we are that just wells up gratitude for all that is good in our lives. Don't you understand that that is God drawing up from within us a worship that must go beyond the material to our transcendent God who is imminently involved in our lives. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, closing the book, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica in almost a bullet point fashion, describing what a life of faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus will look like. Right in the middle of it, in verse 18, he tells them that they must give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because he says, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Why would he say something like that? Because along with all the other commands, thankfulness is the will of God for your life. 
To put it the opposite way, to be unthankful would have been for them to walk outside of God's will. And that is a dangerous thing. For so many of us, we're not thankful for the will of God because we we kind of reduce God's will to our lives for the material things of this world. And we think the will of God is consumed with our spouse, with our education, with the vocation that we're going to choose in our lives. And many don't slow down enough to wrestle with the things that the Bible is very specific about what the will of God for our lives is. For many of us, we don't understand the will of God because we look for it only in material ways. Friends, that is practical atheism. God's will goes beyond what is right in front of your face to the source of all things God. And so what is the will of God for you? To be thankful. When you begin with such a notion that God would have me worship through thanksgiving, that is His will. If I am not thankful, I am out of God's will. Therefore, I will seek to be in His will, to always be filled with gratitude. Don't you understand that all of those other things will fall into place in your life because you will have a clear perspective as to why you exist and why everything around you exists It exists to point glory to God. And when you begin with that, all the other things tend to be very simple to figure out. God has designed us to live in the type of reality where we look to his hand as gifting us with everything that God gives us in our lives. But so many of us, especially in our culture, we focus on what is wrong with life before we're ever cognizant of what is right in life. We've built really in our society a culture of complaining. And you look at others who are thankful and be like, well, have you seen the way that the world is? I say, well, yeah, we've got eyes. I see the news. I know things are messed up. I know the world is not in many ways as it should be, but it is out of God's will for you to feel sorry for yourself and seek to be a victim rather than seeking to attempt to be a hero in this world. And I'll not apologize for that. I believe it is overwhelmingly biblical. To seek to victimize yourself in any and all circumstances is detrimental to your soul and it will kill your future. It is God's will for you to be thankful for everything that he has given into your life. What has he given into your life? Everything that is in your life. This brings with it the glad assumption That everything and every circumstance you will encounter in this life will be from the hand of God. And God has designed us to live in that reality. That means that even when pain enters into my life, I must look to the God who brought it and be thankful because the alternative is chaos. When I look to the turmoil that God brings into my life at times, I must ask myself, how can I be thankful? How is God going to use this circumstance that I'm not going to enjoy? How is he going to use this circumstance to give himself glory through my life? And according to the word of God, it's going to be through thanksgiving, at least in part. Friends, I know during the holiday season, you need to understand the suicide rate climbs. It doesn't go down. It climbs because so many people in this world believe that they'll never get through the pain, they'll never get over the turmoil. 
People are lonely because whether they're just out of step with others in relationship or whether they just have no family, no friends. They've lived an isolated life where they've isolated themselves unhealthily from others, whether it is that you lost something or someone during a holiday season or this is your first Thanksgiving or Christmas without someone or something that you thought would be in your life for a very long time, but now it's gone. Whatever the reason, so many have so many viable reasons for their melancholy during this season. But I want you to understand that none of it happened outside of the purview of a sovereign God who has promised that since he used the murder of his own son to bring about the resurrection of his own son, to bring about the redemption of so many, even the pain and the turmoil that you will face during this season. And friends, I know some of you will. Even that will be used by God to bring himself glory. And for that, we must be thankful. Amen. Is it easy? No. Friends, life is overwhelmingly difficult. If you have not experienced pain in this life, you must not have gone outside. Life is hard. Life is a struggle. And so many suffer for so much of it. But we do not serve a God who has detached himself from the difficulties. Rather, we serve a God who has inserted himself right in the center of those difficulties. And through his son, sunk himself into the deepest depths of suffering that anyone has ever known in all of creation. And he has done it to redeem you. But he has also done it so that you can know on the dark night of your own soul that not only do you have a God who cares, but you have a God who can redeem pain for his glory. And for that, we must be thankful. We enter God's gates with thanksgiving because we believe that the God who worked to save us will continue then to carry us into a future by his design. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 states there is a direct connection between faith and seeking reward. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please God for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That trust is cultivated through thanksgiving rather than giving God our list of grievances of how bad everything is every day. Even if life hasn't turned out the way that you wanted it to, and I know for many of you it hasn't, it isn't. Even in light of that, you need to understand that there are a thousand markers of grace of how God has endured you even through the moments of pain. And all of your despair, all of your grumbling, all of your complaining, if you ever stop for a moment to ask the question, how have I endured through every moment of it? Well, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I'll tell you how you've endured because the power of the Holy Spirit is what has endured you. You weren't strong enough. You weren't mighty enough. You wouldn't have made it if God hadn't carried you every step of the way. See, friends, if you believe the gospel, then you know God isn't holding out on you. But... Envy and jealousy will cultivate that type of environment in your life. It will tell you, oh, you should have that rather than them. Oh, you should be that rather than that person. Oh, you should have that type of life. They don't deserve it. 
I'll tell you, I deserve so much more than some people. I tell you, I live that reality. I look at what people have, and I'll be like, loser, I should have had that. I got a problem. It's called envy. Maybe you have it too. But see, the issue is, is that that can very quickly turn into a posture of believing that God is somehow holding out on you. Friend, God hasn't hold, held out on you, and I know that's true because He sent His own Son to pay the penalty for your sin, not His sin, your sin. That's not the type of God that holds out on us. Look at James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. When we do not have all that we want in this world and from this world, we tend to grow resentful towards God, not realizing that not only is He our designer, but He is the designer of everything that is good for us. Therefore, when He doesn't give into your life something that you want, it's either coming later or it would have somehow destroyed you. Some of the greatest things that God has ever done is not give you exactly what you asked for. Because if he had done it, it may have led you away from him into worshiping the gift rather than worshiping the gift giver. If your thanksgiving is overwhelmed by only also being thankful for material gain, then you don't understand what good is. Don't get me wrong. I'm no Gnostic. I am so thankful for every creature comfort that God has blessed me with. But the greatest gift is the blessing of knowing him, the blessing of being redeemed by him, the blessing that as Ephesians, as I said, says, I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I will never know the wrath of God. I will never know it. As soon as my life on this earth is through pleasure forevermore in glory with a God who when he looks at Steve Gentry, he sees the very righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ on my worst day. That's still true. And for that, I'm thankful. We are so tempted to measure our lives and the worth of our lives apart from the eternity afforded by God that it does create disobedience and many of us pursuing lifestyles that God never intended for us to have thinking that that is where we'll find happiness that is where we'll find joy you will never find it outside of the presence of God when you live thankful to God in every moment it focuses you on what he created you for and the commands that he has given because it assumes that he knows better than I do what I need in my life. And I trust him with that. But also understand, number three, Thanksgiving puts you in a posture of truthful, excuse me, trustful rest. Thanksgiving puts you in a posture of trustful rest. Hear this, ingratitude is arrogance. Plain and simple. It is a sin against God. When you consider the world that surrounds you, all of the evidence that points to a creator God who is the source of all things, but not just the source of all things, he's the maintainer of all things. And then you consider the grace that he's given you through the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. The only way you can respond is with gratitude. He has revealed himself in so many ways. He has done this in so many personal ways in my life. 
And I'm sure that he has done the same for you as well. But what about those who are unthankful? What about when I'm not thankful? I have to be honest. It's arrogance. That is the great depravity of sin with which we must understand we struggle. I seek to be thankful in every day of my life, but don't misunderstand. There is the temptation every single day to be filled with ingratitude. There is the temptation every single day to define my life by what I lack rather than what I have. And every one of those moments, I must repent of the ingratitude that I feel. There's a temptation, the older you get, it takes you longer to unfold out of bed in the morning. You want to be like, why do I feel this way? Why has God allowed this to happen? That's that ingratitude speaking. That's just a reality of life. But for so many that I've met and so many that I talk to, that ingratitude that we begin the day with, it begins to define every other moment. And you only experience the pain. You only see what you lack. Friends, that's rooted in sin in your life. Look at Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His steadfast love endures forever. To Him who alone does great wonders, His steadfast love endures forever. To Him who by understanding made the heavens, His steadfast love endures forever. To Him who spread out the earth above the waters, His steadfast love endures forever. Are you catching a theme? And it continues the rest of the chapter, repeating and repeating and repeating. To be steadfast is to have endurance. He's saying that God's steadfastness is a trustworthy endurance that will not fade. Rather, it is an unfailing attribute that will never fade away. And he applies it to his love. This psalm uses historic events in which God moved in the life of Israel and follows it with the continuous refrain of God's trustworthiness. Are you sick? His steadfast love endures forever. Is there a relationship in your life that hasn't reconciled yet? His steadfast love endures forever. Are you in chronic pain? His steadfast love endures forever. Are you anxious? His steadfast love endures forever. Do you need money? His steadfast love endures forever. Do you need a job? His steadfast love endures forever. Are you worried about your kids? His steadfast love endures forever. Do you feel like you lack compared to other people? His steadfast love endures forever. Are you entering into a week that you know is going to be difficult? His steadfast love endures forever. Regardless of the situation, the psalmist wants you to understand that none of it changes the enduring faithfulness that God's love will always afford you into eternity. And for that, I am thankful. And this psalm 
He makes these statements. He says, God is good. God has worked. God is still working. God will always work, always proceeding it with his steadfast love endures forever. How do I know his steadfast love endures forever? I can look to the cross of Jesus Christ and promise you his steadfast love endures forever. God not only says it, but God continuously proves it. When things are going right and when things are going wrong, according to my standard, doesn't change the steadfast love of God for me. Because when I have that, I always have hope. (laughs) The cure for much anxiety in this life is not complicated. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to go as far as to say all I want to, but I won't. Because I know some of you have real medical conditions. You have real chemical imbalances. But I want you to understand that none of it is disconnected to the faithfulness of God's word. So much of the anxiety and the numbers involved with it have skyrocketed. I believe that it is a pandemic of peer pressure that makes many of you as anxious as you are. His steadfast love endures forever, even if you think you can't handle your life. And so going into this holiday season, there's going to be a temptation for you to enter into Thanksgiving and say, oh, I just can't be surrounded by family. I can't be surrounded by people. I can't be expected to celebrate. I can't be expected to be in a good good mood. I can't be expected to this, that, or anything. Why? Because I'm so anxious. I believe that you are anxious, but I don't believe you understand why. For many of you, the cure for anxiety is not denying reality the way that it is, but rather it is looking to the steadfast love of God and finding the rest that you need and want in Him rather than anywhere else. When you are tempted to find your identity in anxiety, you need to turn and look to the gospel of Jesus Christ and say, how can Jesus define me more than my anxiety defines me? Don't fret yourself to death this holiday season. Doesn't matter if your holiday is not going to be as pretty as everybody else's holiday. Doesn't matter that your turkey is not going to taste anywhere near as good as mine. All right? Chef Steve's in the house. What matters is that you not only have a God who has saved you, you have a God who's going to endure you through this physical world every step of the way and into the next, into his kingdom. When we consider the world around us and everything that is in it, when we consider the next generation that is following us, they don't need to see people that can't handle and won't. They need to see people that trust God with thankful hearts. They need to hear proclamations of God's trustworthiness and our thanksgiving for all that he has done. Look at Psalm 139. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I say that in the mirror to myself every single morning. You say, well, that sounds cocky. I say it sounds like God's word, so whatever. Some of you could use some of that faith-filled cockiness. Stop looking at yourself and seeing something that you don't like. And don't call people fat-phobic. No, I am fat. I shouldn't be that. But that doesn't change the fact that I was designed and made by a God who loves me. And I am exactly who he wants me to be. I look how he wants me to look. And I am thankful for every moment that he allows me to be so good looking. (laughs) 
I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. It's not coming into this doubt, oh, am I enough? No, it says my soul knows the God who made me. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I am awake and I am still with you. I love the end of that because he's basically saying it feels like a dream because life is so great with God. But even when I wake up, it's still true. Do you look at life that way? You can. If you will trust God, if you will thank him, the only answer is an always looking to God and being thankful. Friend, be thankful that faithfulness is rewarded by God. He is not some far off being who is not to be bothered with real life circumstances. Rather, he intricately wove you in the depths of the earth. He formed you has a design that he is calling you to walk into for a future in which he wants you to join him in. When you consider the design of God and you realize that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, the only option is verse 17. How precious are your thoughts, oh God. How precious. Friends, thank God for everything. Live thankfully. And then keep giving thanks. A few application points this morning. First, focus on the joy from God more than anything else. Focus on joy more than anything else. You don't deny pain. You look for God's design in pain. There is no accident. Secondly, focus your worship on gratitude. If you feel like you can't worship, start naming the blessings that God has given into your life. They're there. Look for them. Thirdly, build your feelings out of facts. You don't feel thankful. Look at the facts. You should. Fourthly, trust God with what you don't have by focusing on what you do have. Focus on what you have. That doesn't create a world in which you get everything that you want. What it does is it says, man, God has been good to me, so I can trust him to either give it to me tomorrow or keep it from me because I shouldn't have it. And then finally, rest in God's faithfulness before you worry about tomorrow. The God that was faithful yesterday, he's strong enough for tomorrow, even if I'm not. Trust him.